This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks here, as always, with Kara Sismadia from the Canadian Camping and RV Council. Super excited to have a couple special guests here for you today to give their perspective on the industry as a whole. We've got John Gray here, the CEO of RV Share, and we have Kara and Zach from Let's Camp, who are gonna, who has a reservation system up here in Canada only, or are you guys in the U.S. do you know? Currently still in Canada, but we're starting in the U.S. right away here. Okay, awesome. Just talk about their perspective on what they're seeing as far as trends and things like that and data points. Let's go ahead and just kick it off with John, RV Share CEO. John, nice to meet you. First of all, thank you for appearing on our show. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, RV Share? Sure. Nice to meet you too. And thanks for having me on. So, yeah, RV Share is basically pretty similar to a Verbo or an Airbnb, but for RVs. So, people who have an RV can list it on RV Share to make a second source of income. People who want to go out on an RV trip can come to RV Share and rent it and and have a great trip. And usually they do have great trips. As you guys know, outdoor travel is a, a very high satisfaction category. About 95% of our reviews that we get are five stars. The business started in 2013 and we have over 100,000 RVs available on the site all over the U.S., just U.S. today. And yeah, it's been a, a heck of a ride through the past few years with the pandemic and everything else and, and people really shooting to outdoor travel as a kind of mainstream way of travel. So now you say RV Share started back in 2013 and admittedly I've been in the industry since, I don't know, I can't even remember. I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, but I think it's 2009-10 is when I got in the industry. But I admittedly had not heard of RV rentals at scale or size prior to maybe four or five years ago. And maybe that timeline's a little iffy depending on where you're at and what you're doing. And obviously I'm not a campground owner or a renter of RVs typically. So. What in your mind in the last couple of years has changed or shifted in the RV rental landscape other than the pandemic and the extreme interest in outdoors, right? To shift consumer behavior towards this more where we've seen the brands like yours growing rapidly. I think the, the reason people are more aware of it now is just a function of scale. And the business started in 2013, grew pretty quickly. I joined the business in 2018 and we continued to grow quickly for, for a couple of years leading into the pandemic. And my, my kind of belief on COVID has been that it didn't start a lot of trends, but it certainly accelerated many trends. And what we've seen is that that just basically catapulted, you know, RV travel specifically. And I think our, um, outdoor travel more broadly from a niche category that some people do every once in a while to a true seat at the table when people are thinking about taking a beach vacation or a mountain vacation or, or something else. It's just right at the center of the discussion for family travel now. And that's the thing that's different than a few years ago. But during the pandemic, we experienced exponential growth. We've continued to grow off of that. So that's why people have heard of the brands now. They're just much bigger. Now, you were talking to us before the show uh, that you had some previous experience. Uh, was it Expedia? And I forget the other company. Yeah. So, so. 
for the, I guess, 13 years before I started working at RV Share, I, I worked for a company called HomeAway, which is now called Verbo, which ultimately yep. sold to Expedia. I, I would say the, the big thing there is what I believe we accomplished at, at Verbo was we expanded the definition of family travel. It used to be when people traveled, they rented a couple of hotel rooms if they were a large group and hopefully the rooms had a door between them and that type of thing. Vacation rentals made it to where you could have a kitchen, you could have extra bathrooms, you could have area to yourself and outside. And in the part of that is relevant for, for the outdoor travel industry is that this is another kind of similar vein of we're expanding the definition of family travel. And it's not like RVing or camping or anything like that is new. These are categories that have been around for a long time. They just haven't been kind of in the, the mainstream discussion of when families sit down to plan their summer, what they're going to do. And that's what, you know, I saw when I joined RV Share is that this really is the best way to travel, to get out and road trip, to do national parks, to do tailgating, to do music festivals. So for those trip types, we can do it better than anybody else. And so much of what I saw from the vacation rentals industry, I think is, is applicable here in the outdoor travel industry. And I think this is already a big, but a, a quickly growing and, and really dynamic area within the travel industry. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And one of the reasons that I ask you about your background, sorry, I'm just letting Kara back in here. Welcome back, Kara. Like me last week, I'm having issues all over the place. Hopefully we don't repeat those. But uh, John, one of the reasons I ask you about your background is is it fascinates me how this industry is so rapidly not just growing, but also evolving and changing. And now as we continue to add glamping into the mix, which can be defined by a broad range of cabins and yurts and all those kinds of things, uh, sometimes next to RVs and sometimes in standalone properties, what do you see that is different? And I know this is an open, wide-ended question, right? Between your home away Expedia days and those, I don't want to say traditional vacation rentals, but I think you understand what I mean, and the outdoor I mean, hospitality industry. Yeah, like, like I said earlier, I think there's way more similarities than differences. But I think what you've seen people do is expand their you know, worldview in the last few years in terms of how they think about what type of travel is good for them and their family. I think they've wanted to get more off the grid, and that is something that's served better by outdoor travel than it is by, by vacation rentals, typically. I think people, I also think accommodations within outdoor travel, you talk about glamping, have become better. We were talking about this before we came on, but Wi-Fi is a very important thing for people who are trying to blend their working life with their vacation. And that's something that can now be done in campgrounds and in, in clamping accommodations and things like that. So those are the things that are different that have taken people who wouldn't used to consider clamping or camping and brought them into the addressable market for those types of travel. That's awesome. Yeah, I want to I want to dive more into that for you, but I want to give Karen Zach a chance to jump in here for a second from Let's Camp. Karen Zach, do you want to briefly just tell us about Let's Camp and who you guys are and how you got started? Yeah, so What's Camp is a reservation software program. There's a few out there. We are aiming to be the simplest for as long as we possibly can because you know how difficult technology can get for a lot of people. Yep. Let's Camp has been around since, I believe, 2012 or 2013. It started as a project, I believe, for a single campground. And then the CEO, Mike, saw like a huge potential in how this could be used by a lot of people. So it quickly evolved from that. In the very recent years, we released a new version because it, it used to be very segmented that every campground needed something extremely different. But now the industry seems to be standardizing a lot from things like everyone having better access to Wi-Fi. 
So for the first time, a lot of these campgrounds that have been in a bubble for so long that have done things the only way that they know how are seeing that there's other campgrounds that do things differently. And so we're seeing just a huge trend of change of everyone doing things a little bit more similarly to each other because there's data to back up why to do it that way. Okay, that's <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fine. Uh, Kara, feel free to jump in here at any point since Let's Camp is in your domain and you're up here with CCRBC in Canada. Yeah, I, I'm happy to see you guys here today. Let's Camp is a supplier member of CCRBC, so obviously we're too grateful for Let's Camp support and um, happy to work with you closely in support of members across the country. I'm interested to hear about these kind of demographic shifts. Are you seeing campgrounds? New client customer campgrounds coming on, switching from other software programs, or are they in, introducing software use now? Is this, is that a whole for the first time? Yeah. Yeah. So for the first time we're already switching from other competitors. So we've definitely seen probably a little bit of both. I would say it's probably about 50, 50, even. I know that for us, just in comparison to last year, we've pretty much doubled the number of bookings that we've been taking from campgrounds. So that's both from switching and both from new campgrounds now taking the opportunity to book online. Right on. Wait to see. So as you travel, not necessarily travel around, but as you talk to these campgrounds that are both adopting reservations for the first time, as well as switching from other providers or whatever, what are you, as you talk to them about their seasons and their, you know, kind of what they're looking forward to 2022, what they're adding, what they're changing, what they're standardizing or not standardizing, what are some of the things that kind of stick out in your mind that you're seeing in the trend? So in terms of standardization, I don't know if I would say so much that like they know what they want to standardize. I think just when they're looking for uh, like a platform to use, they want to find something that fits as closely to how they do things as possible. And I think in most cases, there's not really an exact solution because every campground has done things so wildly differently up until this time. Even independent of reservation systems though, right? What are some of the, like we we're talking about Wi-Fi, John brought that up. Uh, what are some of the things or trends that you see people moving toward, like, uh, that, that they need or that they're adapting to and changing in the industry as a whole? Cause you talked about, you, you talk to your clients all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Wi-Fi is definitely a big one. One, of course, for campgrounds to get it for themselves to start being able to do things online. And then of course, turn our offer to their guests because glamping, like we've already discussed is something that's coming up. Uh, a lot more, you, you get fewer new campgrounds that are not, that don't have like electrical and water and sewage hookup and that sort of thing. It's surely the part of companies like John's that are offering things that just weren't really available to everyone before they didn't own their own units and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. The other thing I'd probably add to that as well is just the expectations of campers is quite a bit higher than it perhaps has been in the past. People have limited vacation time and limited opportunity and they have one choice to spend it. And so just if their campground experience hasn't been great, that's not ideal. And so a lot of people are taking advantage of various features like our add-on feature. I know that one campground I spoke with, they use that opportunity to sell wood ahead of time and then actually just have all of everything ready to go for the camper as they arrive, which just streamlines that experience. And in this specific location, a lot of people are actually canoeing into that location. So they don't have a lot of space to bring like extra wood or whatever. And so it just makes the whole experience more streamlined for everybody. To build on Kira's point on this, this is, I think, a really important piece. These are new people coming to the camping space have not been camping their entire lives. Mm -hmm. They yeah. don't know what to expect. 
we have to show them that we have to, when we think about, we've done it this way in the past, so we should continue to do it this way. I think it's important to also look at that through the lens of how is someone who's never done this before going to experience this? And how do we start with kind of the, the campground renter in mind when we're designing these experiences? Because that's how we make this category much bigger is we get people to, to come camp, to love it and to tell all their friends about it. I think uh, speaking as a former campground owner, I think that it's easy to fall into this almost tunnel vision thought where we mentally get removed from that new camper and arguably the, the peer-to-peer market and rentals and all that stuff is really changing the demo, pushing this change, uh, in demographics quite quickly, more quickly than ever before in my experience. So this focus on paying attention to what that experience will look like from start to finish for someone who's potentially never camped before in their lives can be difficult. I think at least I'll speak for myself in my own experience as a campground owner, when I'm there and I'm in the campground every day and all this stuff is second nature or regular recurring thing for me, it's it can be difficult for me to step back and view it from that fresh lens. And so I think that's really valuable. And like I said, this changes, these changes in the market have really pushed the, the desire or, or need for that type of attention to our business models that much quicker. And so I could see that certainly being a, a hurdle that needs paying attention to. It's really has a big impact on the experiential, like overall outcome. If, if you have a rental, if you're renting an RV, but you've never hooked up a water connection or a sewer connection before, that's really going to impact the overall outcome of your space for sure. And those are basic fundamentals that can easily be overlooked. And like when I'm interviewing campers and I ask them a question, what do you like to do when you get there? The first answer I get is always a relax followed by a laugh because they think that I wasn't expecting that to be the first answer, but it always is. And the second one is like amenities, attractions, and events. People want more than just to set up and sit by the fire. Not everyone, but they want to know what do you have for hiking trails? Can we do life in there? What do you have a local town nearby? They, they want the most out of it that they can get. Yeah. I have to say in my experience, and I've checked in thousands of guests. That check-in experience is so fascinating to me when they get off the road and they've been driving for hours and hours or whatever that, that there typically is this, oh my God, I just want this done <laughs> attitude. So I, I used to often, we did some interesting things with like comfy chairs and refreshments and things like that. But then also just here's the fundamentals in a package for you, but then in an hour or two, I'm going to stop by there in the golf cart and we can chat or whatever, because it's so difficult that you got off the road, you just spent 10 hours driving or whatever. It's so difficult to absorb all that information that someone behind the front desk is spewing at you that I, in the, in my early days, I noticed guests would come back afterwards and be like, I know you told me this, but I, <laughs> I was so focused on backing the RV in <laughs> that I missed it. So those strategic ways to impact that initial check-in experience and then also like hopefully streamline those marriage tester times like backing the RV and all those things. I know a lot of parks that do some really creative cool stuff to make it less stressful and more fun and those kinds of things I think and then this goes back to the automation conversation we always have. The more our we see parks starting to automate stuff the more time your staff is going to have freed up to now go 
really impact guests, customer experience, both and then throughout their stay, which, you know, is so valuable for sure. Yeah. And one of the things that we, oh, I was just going to say, one of the things we've seen is it's now to the point where it's a little over 20% of our bookings are people who are renting an RV, but having it delivered to a campground and set up by the owner. So then when they show up, they're not having to go connect the water and, and all that type of thing. They're just walking in and their vacation is beginning. And I think that's something that, that hits a nice thread of being great for the owner. They can make some extra money and kind of set it up themselves. It's great for the renter because their vacation starts right, right when they get there. And it's great for the campground because you have someone who's experienced setting up the RV, setting it up as opposed to someone who's doing it for the first time. Well, I think that's a larger discussion here. And maybe we, and this is why I like having the open discussions. You never know where it's going to go, but I think this is a larger discussion where we maybe deep dive for a second into the guest experience and maybe trying to see that from their perspective, because I feel like John, your industry was born studying the customer experience and what they want and how their needs and wants are pivoting. And so before we get into that, John, tell us a little bit about this program that you have for campgrounds that specifically addresses this demand from consumers. So I'd say that the big thing that RV share can offer campgrounds is we can offer exposure in that we get millions of visitors every month to our site. We have pages that present things like top campgrounds where we can recommend your campground to people who might be near it and, and those types of things. We also now have a, a more specific program around this where you can basically host RV share listings on your site and earn additional money for bookings that come to, to those listings. And you can also list stationary RVs available at your campsite. A lot of times people will have, you know, Airstreams that don't tow anymore, but they have them in place and they rent them out. You can rent those on RV share and we can usually drive pretty significant bookings to them. You can find out more about the program by going to pages.rvshare.com slash campground dash partnerships. So that's the page for it. I'll also add that to the chat as we're talking. Yeah, throw it in the chat. It'll go to all the social networks there on the right-hand side. Just do it in the public chat, not the private. But yeah, that's it. so let's take a step back and look at this guest experience because I think this is, and maybe this is something we I can't remember we've ever touched on really in, in depth here, Kara, because it's an issue that I struggle with as a business owner too. And, I, and, and John, I'd like you to expand a little bit more on how maybe you guys handle it with your company, identifying the guest experience and what they want from a rental standpoint. Kara said when she was a campground owner, and stepping back and understanding what these, what your clients want in my case, is I'm in this day to day, I'm going full tilt 16, 18 hours a day sometimes in my case, and I've been doing that for 12 years. And so I try to continuously step back and say, what do my clients want and what is their experience and how is the onboarding process and is it easy and can they get a hold of me and all those kinds of things. And sometimes I get lost in that shuffle of, of disconnection of not, I, I think it works one way for me and, and really their perception is, well, it could work better or differently or some other way in their perspective. And so how do we do this as an industry, both from a park owner standpoint, from an amenity standpoint, from a reservation system standpoint, like I feel all of you guys can contribute to this discussion. So By John, you level, to... you're going to be compared to a hotel in everything you do for new customers. So you need to be as easy to book as a hotel. You need to welcome people in a way that is as good or better than a hotel, which let's be honest, it's not that great at a hotel. So this is an area where you can differentiate. Um, the amenities are going to be compared to a hotel. So that's what people are going to compare you to what they use today. And the overwhelming majority of people use a hotel. You should try to be 
as good as you can be on the things that a hotel does well and that really differentiate on the fact that you can't see every star in the sky from a hotel, right? You can't have incredible hiking trails at a hotel. You differentiate on the things that, that are definite wins. And, but things like I've come up to campgrounds and you have to pay us in cash in a drop box in the middle of the night. It feels more like a drug deal than booking a, uh, a campground. And, and that's problematic because customers who are new to this space are not going to be okay with that. They're not going to have change for $14 in the middle of the night at some place that they didn't even know they could get a spot in. They just had to show up and see if it would work. They're used to booking a table, an open table. They're used to picking their seat on an airline. They're used to showing up at the hotel and their room's ready to go. So that's the standard we need to play to as a, as an outdoor travel industry. But there are ways you can enhance that, right? So when you drop the money in the box, it could actually dispense drugs in Colorado. <laughs> that's where it's legal. No kidding. But anyway, uh, like let's talk about that care for a second. He's talking about the welcoming experience. And so from you as a campground owner perspective, and, and obviously you talk to a ton still here with CCRV. I, I think I agree with that, right? The, the first touch point there of, of walking into a hotel and dinging a bell or waiting and having somebody maybe sometimes friendly, most of the time, not unfriendly, just doing their job. How do we enhance that from a step one standpoint from a camera? Well, sorry, can I just interrupt? I would actually say step one isn't even at the campground. Step one is when they're making their booking. So, okay. um, someone in the comments here said that setting expectations is super important. That comes from the photos that campgrounds have on their website or on their listing pages so that campers know what they're getting into. If they have some general guidelines on rules, like whether fires are allowed or at that certain time or pets and that kind of a thing, or what kind of accommodations, bathrooms, et cetera, having that upfront when somebody is booking is going to set up that expectation a lot better. Yeah, I totally agree. I, that's what I was basically going to say is I would argue perception impact stuff happens long before a guest ever arrives. I think there's lots of ways to impact how that perception built and, and cultivated. You can certainly use your website for that and, and your social media accounts and all of those things, your Google reviews, all of those things I think collaboratively have, can have an impact. It's a difficult tightrope almost sometimes for campground owners to walk. I, in my experience, I have those had those old diehard camper customers and those guys don't want Wi-Fi. And they want to go camp in the woods. And so you have to find this adaptable spot where you're able to provide great experience across a broad demographic of kind of expectation and all of those things. And, and of course, I think certain campgrounds have certain environments and, and things that others maybe don't. And, and those consumers are going to naturally gravitate to what they're most interested in. But I think long before check-in time, even once that reservation is booked, you can really start cultivating that stuff with patients with guests before they arrive and all of those things so that by the time they come to check in, they're already, especially because what I mentioned earlier, where they're stressed out when they get there and maybe it's been a long day and their kids are killing them for hours in the car or whatever. I, I would argue that makes the pre-check-in communication opportunities even more important because of, of that dynamic, it's not ideal to start off your in-person relationship with them in that way. But then, of course, at check-in time, I think you're, in my opinion, your number one most vital kind of necessity staff who is, is really welcoming and engaging and seems happy to be there, <laughs> a couple of those kinds of things to make that those initial uh, 
touch points, in-person touch points, really intentional. But then, yeah, there's lots of ways to be very creative and adaptable with all of this stuff. I think small things like on Mother's Day weekend, we used to give away, give a rose to every woman who came in to the front desk. Like it's Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day, whether she's a mother or not. She got a- so these little things, I think, really can impact customer experience and you can carry that throughout their entire stay. And then also, you know, as long after they leave too, stay in touch with them, invite them to come back. All of those things create a long-term relationship with, with guests. That's so valuable. Another kind of easy, small one to do is, is just to recognize the fact that this is a non-standard experience for most people relative to their daily life. And many of them are worried that they're not going to have cell coverage when they arrive at the campground. So sending them an email ahead of time, the day or two before they arrive and saying, Hey, here's what's going to happen when you get here. You're in spot X, it's confirmed. You're going to arrive at the front desk, stop there. And one of our folks will be out there to, to welcome you and to tell you what else needs to happen, right? Here are exact directions on how to get here. But this very basic kind of what should you expect is going to take a lot of the uncertainty and stress out of their trip to, to get to your trip. I 100% agree. Like Jacob Marler put that in the comments, educating and managing expectations is super important. But yeah, like be, it's honestly some of these little things that are so simple and easy to do that often get overlooked, both from my business as well as everybody's business as it relates to hospitality, especially. But be honest and say exactly what's going to happen. Put your hours of operation for your store so they know if they arrive late, they might have to use a Dropbox or a reservation window. Put one out of five people who are going to scrape the side of my building with your RV. Like just be brutally on, right? But no, yeah, managing expectations is a huge thing. So uh, other than emails, is there any ideas that you guys have seen campgrounds implement that have set those expectations in advance? One thing that I want to touch on is a sort of evolution of sales and marketing with campgrounds. Just in like the way that they communicate really any of their information. So when we look at how campgrounds talk about their own, like how campground owners talk about their own campground, some of them are starting to have a better understanding that you need to sell your campground. You need to get people excited, let them know what they're getting out of it. Whereas some of the older campgrounds will use that same space to write, do not bring a second vehicle, do not bring your pets, don't this, don't that, no parties. Just all based on things that may have gone wrong at that campground once in the past. And reading through a long list of rules, while you might think it's important, if that's the only experience that they're getting with you, it's, it's negative overall. Like it's a, it's almost And like, it's the first impression often that they get too. Yeah. It's you're doing them a favor by letting them come so they can at least follow all of your rules. Yeah. The other thing to add to that, and this happens probably with any kind of business owner or industry, but you often think that your property or your campground is less exciting or could be less exciting compared to other campgrounds. Like you could say, oh yeah, the other one is way cooler than mine. I'm not going to talk very excitably about mine. And so really just speaking, like you said, more excitably and more um, salesy about your property, I think is key compared to getting down on yourself. And this even comes to like social media and things like that too. Who wants to see another picture of a sunset? I see it every day. That sunset's new for the person potentially seeing your campground. So those kinds of things are still important to communicate to potential campers. But then there's two <laughs> one, two punches there, right? It is is not only do you have to market it and sound excited, but you have to deliver it when they actually get there. Yep. So don't post the sunset you can only see from the beach two miles down the road. 
<laughs> exactly that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or don't just post your best campsite with all the trees. Give a good realistic example of yeah. one other one that's a bit tactical here. We talked about the emails and sending a what to expect email. If you're going to send communications day of, you should switch to SMS, text message. You should not be emailing day of. You should switch just to text. The other thing is remember that is a great opportunity to upsell as well. You can say, hey, we have you in this spot. If you want a premium spot, it's X dollars more. When we still have some available or we have s'more kits for sale if you forgot that or whatever you want to add on, that's a good time to do it in a way that doesn't feel particularly intrusive. It can be more of a, hey, you don't have to stop on your way to get this thing that you'll probably want. We have that for you. Great way to upsell. Exactly. Yeah, Just so everyone's aware that there is systems that will can automate that process, I guess, for you. Um, it doesn't have to be a hand text or whatever, if that's what people were thinking. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Not only with upsells and things like that, but yeah, it's a very unique opportunity just stepping outside of the box and seeing that perspective of that guest, even just with something as simple as text messages, right? Like I'm in my business so often and I email clients and I don't understand why they don't respond back to me the next minute or the next hour or whatever, because I'm the guy who's sitting in front of my computer all day and my email's in one corner and the other else, and I'm checking it constantly. And so I have to step back and realize not everybody is weird like me and always has their email up on their screen. And so that's part of setting those expectations is those understanding those campers are not going to be checking their email that day of check-in and some will, of course, but for the most part, they're not. Mm -hmm. So utilizing tech, like those text messages and things like that, or uh, whether it's an automated system, uh, like Kara was saying, as far as reservations or an app at your campground or something like that, just kind of understanding that process. We seem to have lost Kara again. So uh, I'm going to do my best to carry the show. It definitely won't be as good. So what are some other things, right? Let's step through this customer experience thing and let's get to arriving to the site. And I know that there are other things that are important pre, but I feel like we've covered those things in other episodes or, or briefly here. What are some of the things that when they get to their site, and maybe John, you can chime in on this from a, a rental standpoint, right? If you're an owner who's put something on their site and already hooked it up and those kinds of things, we briefly touched on that. But how can you enhance that guest experience on site? I would say at a very high level, the thing that we are all in the business of in the travel business is reducing friction from the travel process. And nobody is going to say, when you go back and survey them, you say, what was great about this trip? They're not gonna be like, man, I hooked up the water and it was super easy, right? It's going to be spending time with my family. It's going to be the views that I had of, of the stars at night or whatever that sort of is. It's all going to be about experiences, about having an adventure together and those types of things. If anything that we can do to remove friction from those things happening, you're going to see an immediate impact in your satisfaction rates. Because right? friction is a negative experience. It, yeah, or the busted sewer or the torn water hose or the electric what not working, then that becomes an experience that they will write about. But you don't like want friction, it. You know, friction in booking, friction in any of these things, just anything you're doing that's taking their, especially if it's, hey, I had to, the campground could have had a way to have food delivered, but instead they don't allow food to be delivered. So I had to drive six miles to get a pizza. Okay, cool. Except now I took an hour of my time away from what should have been the thing that drives satisfaction on the trip. 
for something that could have easily been fixed. And things of that nature are, are ones that will pop up in people's minds. It, you almost have to think about it from our perspective. What we want them to do when they're at the site is hang out together and have fun. So anything we can do to make sure they're doing that is is probably worth our time. In. And that's the interesting part, right? Like it's there's so much that you have to think of in some cases. And, and ideally, you want to do it in advance before that first guest has the pizza problem, right? Because then it ends up on a review site and then it's all over Facebook and people are commenting on it and you've got a problem and you have a fire you have to put out. But if you think of those things, look at your behavior even in advance. If you like getting food delivered once or twice a week or whatever, then I don't know. There's so many different things you have to think of. Well, this is yeah, go ahead. A great way to do that is just to survey people after they leave and say, especially the ones who give you good scores, say, hey, I know you loved it, but I really want to make my campground like the best. How, how do I do that? What do I do? What could I do that would have made it better? And I think so many of us have gotten into this give me five stars mentality of as soon as somebody says they had a great trip, we're like, cool, on to the next one. But those are actually the people that we can learn a lot from. Yeah. And I would argue that the most valuable feedback to your company is sometimes the negative reviews too, because that shows you your weak spots. I read a stat years ago where I said, said like 95% of people won't be bothered to leave a review of your park, good or bad. Uh, and so those 5% of people that do are the really valuable gold mines of this is good. This is great. This sucks. This is horrible. And so you should treat each one of those as a treasure of information. And I hate the kind of threatening tone of this, but we talked about this earlier and there's a, the people who have been camping for years and have come to your campground 15 times are not going to go write a negative review about you. The, the person who shows up and it's the first time they've come and maybe they don't know how to hook up the water hose or whatever. That's the person who is going to be most likely to write either a really positive review if you differentiate the experience there or a really negative one if you don't. Maybe you just, and again, like I know this, there's staff shortages and all kinds of logistical errors to this, but this is something that just pops in my head on the reservation system. Check a box if you're a first-time camper and maybe we go out of our way if we know you're a first-time camper here to put together this little package where we guide you to your site and give you extra hand-holding and ask if you need help with the sewer hose and whatever else. And then that first experience is wow. And then you turn somebody into a loyal guest based on that, but you don't do it for everybody. You ask. I think that's a great idea. And if you don't, if you don't have the box on your reservation software, you can just ask them when they arrive too, but yeah. Or send the text message or the email or whatever. There's all kinds of touch points and, and ways to get this. And, and that all kinds of kind of goes back to gathering data. And we've talked about this on the, sh on the show before, the more you can understand about your customer both from a information they're filling out during the reservation process, but what they like and what their preferences are and all those kinds of things, the better you're going to be able to provide customer service to them. I frequently hear that we're not going to dive into advertising, but I frequently hear that advertising is annoying. It's not relevant to me. It's not relevant to you because people who are in advertising aren't doing their jobs correctly. You don't want the pair of shoes they're showing you to, but if they know more about you and they could target you with ads that were actually relevant to you, then all of a sudden that advertising becomes valuable. And that's really what you want to do. They'll give you this information, they'll share it with you if it provides value to them as a result of sharing it. Yep. So, yeah, but the more you can collect on them, what type of site they like, what's their check-in experience, what do they prefer? Do they prefer, because again, we're talking about these smiling, happy people, right, at the front counter, for example, but not everybody always wants that. Sometimes they're really tired and they've been on the road all day and they, as, as we've indicated, they want to get to their sites and relax, but they just want to skip the check-in process altogether. And so is there ways you can automate that through a reservation system or through an app or through a kiosk or give people the option to do whatever they want? And, and, and I know that's a ton to undertake, but these and are that's really, 
another thing I'd add to this that's a little bit tangential, but I think a, a good one is something that hotels do really well is if they have an extra room that's better than the room you booked, but nobody else is coming, they'll upgrade you. And nothing makes people feel better than, oh, I got something for nothing. I could have paid more for this, but instead I got it for the same price. If your campground's empty and you have somebody who you can upgrade to one of your nicer sites, and it's not going to harm you because it's a one-night rental that no one else is going to use anyway, do it. That's, that's such a great way to make somebody feel good about the experience that cost you absolutely nothing. And think about ways, again, this is back to data, right? Understand who that guest is so you can decide who to offer it to. Are they coming from across the country? Do they live in Missouri and your campgrounds in California or New York, and they might be more tired and more appreciative of this? Have they been to your campground four times in the past? Are they a loyal, are they a loyal person? And, and even tiering and staggering your sites on your reservation system, putting ones that are $5 more expensive for a, a site that has an extra tree on it, or uh, the ability to access Starlink satellite service, or is closer to the pond or the bathroom, then that's an upgrade too. It's sometimes the perception is even better too of an upgrade, right? Yeah. And one thing that's like different between campgrounds and hotels is that like in a hotel, for the most part, you're going to get the same room if you pay the same amount. But with campgrounds, you want to be careful about who you might be offering that free upgrade to, because you might be moving them out of the spot that they try to get every single year because it is the first distance from the beach, from the bathrooms. Well, that's why you offer it though. You just offer it. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> make it optional rather than just randomly assigning people because yeah definitely we've seen a lot of people are very dedicated to yeah. their camera that's a really good point zach i think if you don't want to involuntarily change people's spots if you yeah. can help it at all you know and and but i also if you reach out to somebody and say hey this spot's flooded so i moved you to a different one they're going to understand that but if you just send them a automated reservation email that says your spot was 105 now it's 110 that's a terrible experience. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. But again, that's more of that data point, right? If you know what they prefer, just like in a hotel, do, I, do you prefer ground floor? Because the profiles and Marriott and all that have that for me when I travel. Do you like ground floor? Do you like being close to an elevator? What type of pillows do you like? All those kinds of things. That's just the hotel gathering information on you to better serve you. It feels like they that the local hotel never pays attention to what I check in those boxes. But at least I know that they're trying and maybe they'll deploy that in the future at some point. But collecting that data is, is super valuable and figuring out ways to disseminate that. I feel like there's ways that eventually, and, and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, let's camp Kara and Zach. But I feel like there's ways that eventually this reservation system process becomes, and it, it is already is a property management system, but it becomes a guest experience system too throughout the life of their stay. Obviously, apps are filling that gap a little bit. I'm not sold on the fact that apps are going to be around for the next 20 years. But I think there's ways that you guys could fill that loop too or fill that void. Yeah, so I think like most most of the reservation systems I've seen, Let's Camp or otherwise, at least have information about the bookings that a guest has made at your campground in the past. So if you had somebody come in, you could open them up and say, okay, they've only ever camped in Site 6. I'm not going to offer them this upgrade or they're calling and maybe you can figure out to do something to get them that site that they always try to go for. And there's, there's a lot of automation that we're looking to build in the future that will start to like email people being like, you stayed at this campground in this site last year, and it's going to be available for booking three days from now or something like that. 
The one area it's great that customization is coming along and just look at playbooks from other industries to see how this develops and, and you can get a lot of it from that. The one thing I'd say that you have to be careful on is if you're selling software to campgrounds, their data, you need to at least be clear with who's, who owns the data. Is their data their own or are you able to share the data across the network? Because part of what makes it really cool is if you know that this person stayed at some other campground last night and can tie that piece together. But that's a, a data ownership question that you definitely need to be very clear with your customers about. Yeah, I think that's probably further off the sharing of experiences between reservation systems. Like, I, I agree that would be fantastic to have. But I think the automation part is the biggest hassle here because we're talking about this from a let's step back and put ourselves in the campground owner's perspective because Kara is not here. If I'm a campground owner or I'm a husband and wife team and I'm just work, that's the only staff I have at my park or I only have a couple people working. There's, is there time to sit there when somebody's checking in and open up the reservation system and look at all their traits and then decide on the fly? There needs to be some kind of automation that is uncovering these data points that pops up and puts some suggestion in front of you. Hey, it would be a good idea to upgrade this person to site number seven. And then you just know instead of trying to look through it and piece it together. And I know maybe that, I don't know if that's possible. Uh, I, I feel like it is with the technology that we use to automate CRMs and stuff for some of our clients, but whether it's possible in a reservation system. Even to the point, like, this would really be more along the lines of checkout, but if you notice that they've stayed at the same campground every year during the same time frame, offer them the site next year, and maybe you have that opportunity to hold your spot for something extra or something like that. Not a practice we see a lot right now, but usually at the end of a campground or camping experience, you're, you're more likely to think of that positively, and so you're more likely to rebook at that time. Yeah, and, and again, it's just ways to, that has to be uncovered, right? Because for one, they're not usually coming in and checking out like they are at a hotel. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of the cases, obviously, you have keys and glamping resorts, it's different, things like that. But uh, how do I uncover those kind of data points is really the, the big issue uh, without spending my time, which is so precious and so valuable and so limited as a campground owner, because I don't have that 40 person staff that a large hotel would have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to think about in terms of like how Netflix and other companies like that sort of give all of these recommendations just based on all, they're not really showing you the data, but they can, if we could have a system in the future where it lets camp knows the, the trends of this person, even if we're not servicing exactly what they're doing to camp friends, like not sharing their data. But then sending them like recommendations, it seems like you like sites near the water and stuff like that. I'm really excited about the potential in the future. Yeah. Sometimes, and sometimes it's just the effort, right? Like Netflix, Netflix never gets it. Like I never, I just <laughs> thought the Netflix thing and been like, oh, I really want to watch. That's exactly what I want to watch. Yeah. Uh, I still have to scroll through Netflix for an hour to find what I want. And you might want to just... bring them enough data because usually That's... you do get it right. Okay, so John's John apparently has time to watch Netflix endlessly and the rest. No, I'm kidding. But yeah, I, I, I think that there's ways that this stuff and technology continues to get better. And you're right, it's the more data that you're giving Netflix, the more you're watching, the more variety, the more thumbs up or reviews you're giving things, all that data is being collected and disseminated. But I think it gets a lot better as we move on. Uh, there just needs to be a way to do that in an easy fashion because not everybody, and, and I step back and look at this too, not everybody's the geek like me. Like I'm fascinated by this new stuff. I yeah. want to dive into yeah. it and learn it in an hour and deploy it and send it to customers. And then I just sit there and I'm like, why aren't you all using this? It's so cool. 
And then seven years later, they all adopt it. Yeah. yeah. Soon they really that adoption curve that you're talking about is super relevant to this conversation is the, what got us to where we are, isn't what's going to get us to where we want to be. You, the early adopters are willing to climb quite a hill to, to use your service, to find the campground. They'll, they'll go look up several different sites. They'll drive around and look for it, all sorts of things. But once you get out of that early adopters and into the, the kind of majority of adopters curve, you're going to have to do a bit more to push to them. The fact that a lot of people have showed up to camp in the past, hey, that's great. But if there was three times as many people who are willing to camp, it fills up your shoulder seasons. It allows you to charge more. It allows you to invest in additional amenities expand your park, all those types of things. It's one of those that it is a bit harder to go get the next customer, but it's also pretty important. Talk a little bit, John, about how you guys do research on what consumers want as far as the rental sphere goes. So we survey extensively. We basically, we do what's called um, gen pop surveys, which is you survey the general population of travelers. We survey people who, who have used our site. We do user groups, especially when we're going to roll out like a new feature or something like that. We get that out in, in front of customers so they can see it. We also commission a lot of third-party research to, to understand what trends will be every year in November. We publish a travel trends report that talks a lot about outdoor travel and where we predict things are are going to go based on our survey data. A lot of that for the last three years has been pretty COVID specific, right? About how comfortable are people tra to travel? Or are they going to go further next year? I actually think this year we'll probably talk a bit about fuel prices and things like that, because that's top of mind for a lot of people. And it's, in my opinion at the moment, it's such a red herring because for the average RV trip that we see covers 375 miles. Fuel prices are up by $1.40 year over year, and the average RV gets 15 miles to the gallon. So we're talking about $35 over a trip. It's not great. Nobody wants to pay an extra $35, but it's not, never mind that. We're just going to buy tickets and fly to Europe. It's a pretty different trade-off there. Well, Oh, go, ahead. go ahead, finish. Please finish, please. Sorry. I'm just going to say, so things like that are, are what we can get to with the data, but it's primarily looking at user data, um, mm -hmm. how they actually experience the site and then survey data that, that overlays. Well, and I think, and I want to ask the same question to you, Karen, Zach, just how you get feedback from both campers as well as camper hunters in a second, but you make a good point, John, about gas prices. Like, I think there's a lost discussion here and I see it all the time in the Facebook groups. Gas prices are up. How's this going to impact behavior? Gas prices are up. How's this going to impact behavior? I think the missing piece of this is inflation as a whole. Gas prices might only be $35, but if you're paying more for food and electric and to heat your home and to send your kids to school and to buy school supplies and to whatever, then all of that goes into what is my trip budget. And then all of a sudden that $35 is a lot more daunting than just $35 was if it was only gas prices. Look, Brian, I don't think we're going to solve inflation on, on this. Come on, John, let's try. I will tell you that remember inflation is relative. So it impacts all parts of the travel industry. If you, I don't know if you've tried to book a plane flight recently, but they're, they're all figured out to raise that yet. So every, everything is going up. So when everything is going up. Yes, there is some trade-off of people who are just going to say, I'm going to stay at home and not travel at all. But I actually think inflation makes us more competitive as an outdoor travel industry. I agree. Because people kind of trade down off of more expensive trips to domestic drive-to. 
we saw this in 2008 when the, the housing crisis came along and people still traveled. They traveled in just as big numbers. They just carried back their expectations and traveled close to home. The same thing happened in COVID. We had, I'm sure all of you guys saw this too in, in the outdoor travel industry. 2020 was a huge year for us and our biggest growth year we've ever had. And it was people going closer to home. A couple of things that were interesting about going closer to home, the average trip length reduced by about 30%. The average satisfaction was identical. So basically, if somebody was going to spend time with their family 20 miles away from their house or they were driving to Yellowstone to see Old Faithful, they were just as happy with the experience. That, I think, is an interesting commentary on society as a whole, but you'd save that for another well, I feel like that's case by case, depending on who your family... No, I'm just kidding. But but that's a really interesting data point, though, that needs discussed more. And I know we're not going to cover it in, in the next seven minutes here, though. But it's, yes, this behavior is changing, and I agree with you that our industry is not going to suffer as a result of it. The behavior is changing from consumers, and it might be local versus national. And so I'm glad to be part of this industry that I agree with you is recession-proof, or basically is. But the, there needs to be a changing behavior still of understanding your customer and what they want. Like I was talking on the phone with a KOA park, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, who's traditionally always been that drive-through park. And they, along with a lot of our other clients, are already starting to see this changing behavior of not necessarily shorter trips yet, because there's really no way to prove that. It's just changing behavior because there's no data sharing, right? Like the hotel industry has. But it's this, I have always been an overnight park and people have always traveled up and down. And you need to understand like there's a softening of reservations. So is that coming from consumers are waiting to make their reservations longer because of the uncertainty with inflation in the economy? Is it because they're changing their trip dynamic and maybe they're not going past you overnight like they were, but they're staying at a local park wherever they live? And then how do you flip and adjust your marketing? Because you've been a, not necessarily a KOA, but you've been a park that has attracted overnights traditionally and probably never gone after the local market because there's been no need to. And so we had to step back and look at this from a, now I've got to target the local market, 75 mile radius around the park that I've never targeted before that probably have no idea I exist because I've never needed them. My campsites have been full. And so you've got to pay attention to this as an owner. You can't just expect that as behavior shifts, they're just going to find you. I have a pretty big sample size on this and I can share some stats. So yeah, trips are 5% shorter than they were in the middle of the pandemic. And, and I think they track along with return to offices. It's, that's been the big driver there is when people could work from the In more cases, the trips were longer. So we saw a lot of that in 2020 that even continued into the first half of 21. The length of trips has shortened since then. So we're seeing basically about 5% shorter trips than in the kind of middle or, or worst part of the pandemic. The, the other thing that we're seeing is just this, we talked a little bit about Wi-Fi earlier, but you see it in the numbers and it's pretty stark. It used to be like 5% of people wanted Wi-Fi when they traveled. Now it's more than 50%. Like the idea that work happens from everywhere is a trend that was greatly accelerated during the pandemic. And it means that's the case for camping, for camping as well and for campgrounds as well. And I think it's an interesting trade-off that people are going to have to make of cost of Wi-Fi versus accessibility to customers. Because I, I do think it's becoming an expectation. And remember, your customers who don't want Wi-Fi will still come if there's Wi-Fi. It's the customers who require Wi-Fi won't if there's not Wi-Fi.
Well, and that, and that goes back to data, right? Just understanding your customer too. Uh, not only what they want from a Wi-Fi standpoint, but what they want from everything that we've talked about on this show standpoint and, and being prepared. Like you, you can't sit on your hands as a park owner. I've heard, I've talked to so many people who say I'm full. I don't need to do marketing. Talked to one earlier today before the show. Well, okay. But what if you're not tomorrow? What if the pipeline shuts down and the workers don't come? What if the, the inflation skyrockets by 20% because, I don't know, a port catches fire in Los Angeles overnight, and then all of a sudden zero people are traveling but or, or long distances, but they're staying local. You can't sit on your hands. You have to understand this stuff in advance and to a certain extent have a plan in place to adapt or pivot. Even if you don't know how to execute that plan, okay, I'm going to go out and change my marketing to local, and so I'll call my marketing guy or I'll do whatever, whatever it is. Um, yeah, I, I interviewed a few campgrounds a few months ago and asked them questions like, how do you measure like success in your campground? And the answer I got back more often than not was, are we still open at the end of the year? That's it. Like, did they have to, were things so bad that they had to close down? If not, eh, good enough. I was like, I, I wish I could feel that way in the industry. <laughs> well, yeah, and then again, goes, how important it is to, just to be tracking those different things. And understanding like, okay, what's your 80-20 rule? Where are you getting most of your revenue from? And having analytics and knowing how people are finding your campground in the first place so that you can maximize that should things change and you need to adjust levers. Other accommodation industries can teach us something. So the metrics that the hotel industry looks at are ADR, which is average daily rate and occupancy rate. You know what? And then those get you to a stat called RevPAR, which you can also look at. But if you understand what is the average booking for a spot that you're getting and how, and what percentage of your spots are full on a given day, you understand a lot more about your business. Those are things that can certainly be helped with software and with record keeping and, and things of that nature. So I, I do think obviously the goal is to stay in business and everything else. And, and it's in a way refreshing to have that sort of outlook, but in terms of metrics, there are great metrics out there from similar businesses that we can apply in the outdoor travel industry. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things like I'll jump in and say what Kara would probably say if she was here that she's honestly taught me from her campground perspective is there are so many different types of owners and so many different types of campgrounds that there are the people who just retired and are like, I just want to run the campground. And if I'm open, then I'm happy. And if that makes you happy, awesome. Yeah. But then there's the people who really want the analytics and there's the bigger chunk. I feel like there's these people on the end who just want to get through the season and these, but my videos mirrored so i'm doing my hands wrong but anyway there's this people on the end who really want the analytics and there's this bigger chunk in the middle who don't know that the analytics and data is available to them and if they did they'd probably go the side of the analytics but that's an education process that we need to one other thing i'd say on that is that this is an industry that has received a lot of investment a lot of for lack of a better way of saying it hype there's a lot of new new interest in this industry as a whole and when that happens, it makes it harder to just get by because all of your competitors are going to be optimizing their rates. They're going to be building in amenities. They're going to be putting in Wi-Fi. So in a way it puts up, puts you in a bit of an arms race and competing is not really optional if you want to, to stay relevant for people. Well, we've talked about that before, like there, especially with glamping. There is no question in my mind that Marriott is going to figure out how to scale glamping and they're going to open up a franchise that does glamping, and now is your chance to figure it out and set expectations before Marriott gets into it or IHG, whoever it is. But they're going to figure it out. 
So now is the time where you need to adapt and take advantage of the fact that people are expecting to find glamping near you. Give them the experiences and set the expectation that to do that is the best places at a campground or wherever it is. So you've got this opening. You need to take advantage of it. But any last thoughts, uh, Kara and Zach, from Let's Camp before we wrap up here? We're a couple seconds over. All right. I think that's it from our side, but thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys joining us. So check out Let's Camp if you guys are looking for a reservation system. John, any last thoughts from RV Share? Yeah, I enjoyed the time. Thanks, Brian. Really appreciate you joining us, John. Who do you work for? Don't you work for the company in Canada too that you partner with? Am I wrong? Do you work in Canada? I'm on the board of a company in Canada, but that's all. Okay. I thought RV Share had a partnership with a Canadian company who did rentals, so I apologize. It's my bad. But can they rent RVs in Canada too? We, we did a, a long time ago. We're a domestic only business at this point. Okay, cool. Hopefully we can expand into Canada. That'll be interesting in the future because there's obviously a huge market up here. But thank you so much for joining us, John. I really appreciate your time as always. Thank you everybody for watching another episode of MC Fireside Chats. Just as a reminder, we are available as a podcast leader. Assuming that I get a chance to actually post it on the podcasting platform, it'll be on Google and Apple and all those kinds of places as well as mcfiresidechats.com. Really appreciate you guys joining us next week as our campground owner focused show. We've got a bunch of guests on here talking about what campground owners are thinking about from their perspective. So really appreciate you guys watching. And we will see you next week. Take care, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com. 